This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So this is our uh, third of four sermons from this section of Galatians. Uh, Galatians 3, 1 through 14 contains uh, so much. I felt as though um, it warranted more than one sermon. And in fact, we've decided to find four sermons uh, in this passage. So as you recall, two weeks ago, we looked at the passage from the perspective of Paul rebuking the Galatians. Uh, If you're here for the first time this morning and you see Paul uh, calling them foolish two times, uh, we looked at that in detail uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, If you weren't here, you you need to know that after two chapters of speaking to the Galatians about the false teachers, Paul in chapter 3 begins to talk to the Galatians about the Galatians. Uh, Again, his summary is, you fools, you you could have been thinking, but you weren't. And because you weren't thinking, you didn't handle this infiltration uh, of the false teachers uh, by yourself. And so Paul, after rescuing them and defending the gospel for two straight chapters in chapter 3, rebukes them in order to train them for the future. And so then last week, we looked at the text to see Paul's presuppositions about the Bible. Uh, If you'll notice, uh, there are six quotes of the Old Testament within an eight-verse span. And and Paul quotes the Old Testament to show the Galatians, if you would have been thinking about the Bible, you could have figured out that justification is not by what you do, but it's by faith. And so he says, if you had been thinking, you could have thought about the Scriptures And the scriptures would have told you how justification works. But last week, we didn't look at what he quoted or why he quoted it. We looked at how he quoted the Old Testament and gave consideration to Paul's assumptions about the Bible itself. 
Uh, This week, I I want our perspective on the text to be this. Uh, Listen closely. Justification, God declaring you righteous, that is a means to an end. It is not the end itself. Here's what I want us to see. Even though justification by faith is the main focus of Galatians, that doesn't mean that justification by faith is the ultimate focus of the Bible. Again, the main point of Galatians is, in fact, this. God declares righteous. God justifies those who believe in Jesus. God will not justify any who rely upon themselves and their own works of the law. And so the means by which one is justified is, in fact, the main point of Galatians. But, but because the book is about the means by which one is justified, doesn't mean that justification is the ultimate end. It's not as if we've arrived when we understand justification. In fact, justification is a means to the ultimate end. Okay, I think you'll understand soon if you don't already. Three points. Uh, being blessed by God is the end. The blessing of God is the beginning of the end. And then we'll ask a question. What is the means by which the blessing of God is experienced? Okay, first, very quickly, being blessed by God is the end. Look at verses 8 and 9 in your worship folder uh, insert. See very clearly that justification is a means to an end, and the end is being blessed by God. And the scripture for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying or promising, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Being blessed by God is the end to which justification is the means. Paul reiterates it very clearly in verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And in a moment, I'm going to show you very clearly that Paul does not mean justification when he says blessed. They're not synonymous terms. They're not equivalent. Justification is a blessing, but it is not the blessing of which Paul speaks here. So think of it this way. Let's say that you're at my house and you want to go to Publix. And let's say that you know that once you get to Edgewater Drive, you'll know how to get to Publix. And so your question to me in the bulk of our conversation is going to be about not how do I get to Publix, but how do I get to Edgewater Drive? But your question to me doesn't mean that your ultimate destination is Edgewater Drive. But that that once you discover the means by which to get to Edgewater Drive, Edgewater Drive itself will become a means to an end, the end of which you seek, which is the ultimate end. And so Paul in Galatians is telling them how to get to Edgewater Drive. But in our passage, he is telling us that there's a more ultimate destination. The book of Galatians is about how to be justified. But the reason you want to be justified is because justification takes you to the blessing. Edgewater Drive is justification. Publix, being from Lakeland, is the blessing. Remember again what justify verse 8 means. What does it mean to Paul's audience? Justification was a legal term borrowed from the Roman court system of his day. At the end of a trial, if the judge justified the one on trial, the judge was declaring them righteous. The judge was not saying to the one justified, you're innocent. Nor was the judge saying there's not enough evidence here to prove that you did anything wrong. In justification, the judge is saying you did right. In their court system, it wasn't so much, is there enough proof that you did something wrong? The question was, is there enough proof that you did something right? Justification is not you're innocent, you're free to go, you're not going to be punished. Justification is you're righteous, 
You're free to enter. You're going to be blessed. So justification is a blessing, but more than that, it gives you access to the blessing. It's the Edgewater Drive that takes you to Publix. So with that said, what is the blessing? The blessing referenced in verses 8 and 9, what is it? If justification is not the blessing, but a blessing that leads to the blessing, what is it? Is it money? Health and healing? Pleasure? Is it marriage or children? Is it a better marriage or better children? Is it popularity, fame, glory? Is it a promotion? Is it a relocation? Is it a house? Is it a, is it a renovated, renovated bathroom? Is it at least a countertop? Is it a certain body type or is it a certain body figure? Is it comfort and lack of pain? Is it more like a, a genie in a bottle? You know, you know like you, got, you pick two? You can't have all of these things, but you can have any two of these things. Subliminally, everyone just said, go to Panera for lunch. (laughs) Uh, Justification says you're righteous, you're lovely, you're qualified, you're the recipient of the blessing of God Almighty, and it's so exciting. So what's the blessing? Point two, the blessing of God is the beginning of the end. Or said differently, the blessing of God is the beginning of being blessed by God. What does that mean? How is that not redundant? So do you remember how I said that I would show you that justification was not the blessing when we were looking at verses 8 and 9? Let me show you exactly what Paul states to be the blessing. Look at verse 14. In verse 13, Paul says that Jesus Christ was cursed by God when he was crucified. Pick up in 14. He was cursed so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Here it is. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You can see by the grammar that Paul uses that the blessing of Abraham is the reception of the promised Holy Spirit. So here it is again. The blessing of God is the beginning of being blessed by God. So to be sure, being blessed by God means more than just the blessing of God, but the first and greatest part of being blessed by God is the blessing of God. God gives us himself. Do you remember what I said before the call to worship? I said the greatest gift God gives is himself. The blessing we have along with Abraham, verse nine, is intimacy, union, and relationship with God. Now, having seen it directly stated in verse 14, I want to go back up to the top of the passage and I want to see that the blessing of God is the beginning of being blessed by God. Remember the context in the letter. Remember the context in Galatians. The false teachers are telling the Galatians that they're not yet justified. The false teachers are telling the Galatians that they're on the way, that Jesus has given them a splendid start, but that they're going to have to do some things on their own in order to reach their goal, in order to be saved, in order to be justified. The the false teachers would teach that a person uh, could never know if they were justified by God until they got to the end of their life and stood before God and found out at that moment if they were fit for his presence. And so the false teachers would say, you have a lot of obeying to do prior to being justified by God, and you can never know now if you're justified. And Paul says to the Galatians in verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit? By works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
In other words, Paul presumes or presupposes that they have already received the Spirit. Paul further presumes then, verse 4, that they've experienced many things by the Spirit. Paul further presumes in verse 5 that the Spirit in the present tense is being supplied to them and working miracles among them. And Paul is saying, if you have the Spirit, you already know that you're fit for the very presence of God because the Spirit is God's presence. And he says, if you have the Spirit, you're justified because justification is a means to the end, the end being the blessing, and the blessing is God himself. And if God is in you, you're already justified. Paul is saying, you're at Publix. Why are you wondering if you found Edgewater Drive? You're justified. You know you're justified because you have the Spirit. And so the logic in Galatians 3, which proves our point this morning, the logic proves our point, which is this. The blessing of God is the beginning of being blessed by God. And when we hear that, I think that there are two uh, uh, types of questions that begin to float around in our minds. First, some of us are are likely thinking this, if we're honest. That's it? That's all the blessing is? What about money and pleasure? What about the absence of pain and the absence of persecution? What about all the happy rich guys on TV telling me that the blessing is physical? Another version of the question is this. I heard you. I was listening. You said the reception of the Spirit is the beginning of being blessed. So there's at least some sort of you pick two coming next, right? I think there's another type of question rattling around in some of our brains. It's actually a deeper question. It's something like this. What does it mean to receive the Spirit? Verse 2. What does it mean to have so many experiences? Verse 4. What does it mean to be there when God works miracles? Verse 5. What does it mean? Because I'm not sure I've ever received the Spirit, which means that I may have never been justified, which means that I've never had saving faith in Jesus. And so I think there's two types of questions floating around in our head. One of them is, that's it? And the other is, what if you don't have that? Well, let's think about the first type of question first. I'm going to come back to the second type of question in the third point. If the Spirit, if relationship with God is the beginning of the blessing, what else is included? Well, the Bible is clear. Riches, health, pleasure, community, the absence of pain, the absence of betrayal, the absence of sickness, darkness, and death. These and many more are all part of the blessing. But, this is a huge but, The New Testament makes it abundantly clear that these parts of the blessing are not part of the blessing in this life. The only part of the blessing that God promises in this life is himself. God doesn't promise the New Testament church that in this life we won't be sick and we won't eventually die. He only promises to be with us when we get sick and when we die. God doesn't promise us that we'll never be poor. He just says, I'll supply myself to you in that poverty. God doesn't promise us that we'll never be betrayed. He'll just say, he just says, I'll never leave you when you are betrayed. We will one day get all of the blessing. But the beginning of the blessing is God himself, and that is all he promises us in this life. Are you disappointed with that? I am. I have to confess to my own shame that I am sometimes very disappointed with that being all I get in this life. 
I have to tell you that when I read about Martha in CBR this week in Luke chapter 10, you remember Mary and Martha, right? The two sisters, Martha's house, receiving Jesus in Martha, working, 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 Mary resting, resting, resting. Martha saw Jesus as a means to an end. Mary saw Jesus as the end. Martha related to Jesus this way, what can I get out of him? Mary related to Jesus this way, how can I enjoy him? When I'm dissatisfied with the answer of the New Testament regarding the blessing, it reveals uh, that I want God to be a means to my ends and not the end itself. This is most obviously portrayed to me in hardship. Think, think also about Luke 11, 1 through 3, again, 1 through 13, again in CBR. It's Jesus' most exhaustive teaching on prayer. Teaching on the blessing is generally tied to teaching on prayer. And so Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, be persistent, be impudent, be stubborn, don't give up. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, it will be open. And I am like, I need less pain. I need less betrayal. I need more money. I need more honor. I need more comfort. And the list goes on and on and on. And then I keep reading. And Jesus says this in the last line. He says, this is the content of the prayer request that God will always answer. And this is the content of the prayer request he will always give. The Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, seek, and knock. Ask for anything but him, he may or may not give it to you. Ask for himself, and he will always provide. Do you want biblical proof that the beginning of the blessing and the only promised portion of the blessing in this life is the Holy Spirit living within you, giving you intimacy and union and relationship with God? If you want proof, listen in. Later in Galatians 3, the blessing will be called the inheritance. So a great one-word understanding of the blessing in the Bible is the inheritance. And so first we're accepted in Jesus, we're adopted in Jesus, we're made co-heirs with Jesus. We will eventually get everything that Jesus has, spiritual and physical. But then Paul in chapter 4 teaches that what we receive now of the inheritance is the Holy Spirit. And he says the Holy Spirit goes into your heart and he creates intimacy with the Father and that's what you get now. Further, in Ephesians 1, Paul says, in Jesus we've received an inheritance, verse 11. He's talking about being blessed in chapter 1 of of Ephesians. And then in verse 14, Paul says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. That's a mathematic term. It's a business term from that culture for the down payment, the beginning of an inheritance. And Paul says in verse 14 that you get the Holy Spirit, quote, until you acquire possession of it. Talking about our hope in the future. And Paul says, as justified children of God, we have an inheritance. And Paul says, the Holy Spirit is your down payment. And because you have the Holy Spirit, you will have all that Christ has in the next age. And you can know that you're going to have it because you have the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10, Paul again, God is preparing you an inheritance and a home. And he says, verse 5, that he has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, a down payment, a beginning. And then Paul says very clearly, the home and the inheritance is not in this life. And Paul says, this is why we'd rather be away from the body and with the Lord. And what Paul is saying in that passage is that our pursuit of created things will never make us happy, but our pursuit of the creator will always satisfy. 1 Peter 1, I could keep going. Our father has caused us to be born again to an inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. 
The inheritance is, in, is clearly inclusive of physical things, physical things that won't perish, physical things that won't fade, uh, physical things that cannot be defiled. But then what, is, what does Peter say about that portion of our inheritance in 1 Peter 1? He says this, it's kept in heaven for you and it will be revealed at the last times. He's talking about when Jesus returns. There is ample biblical truth that the beginning of the blessing and the only promised part of the blessing in this life is the Holy Spirit. But how did we get here? To Galatians 4, to Ephesians 1, to 2 Corinthians 5, to 1 Peter 1. Well, we got here because being blessed is this huge word in our passage. It's, it's maybe the key word of our passage. And we got here because being blessed is said to be uh, the end to which justification is the means. And I began to realize in my own mind and in your minds, as soon as I said being blessed, I'd have to show you what the Bible means by that and what the Bible doesn't mean by that. But we also got to this place because there's a second time of question a type of question. There's a more uh, potentially troubling question that's rattling around in an awful lot of our brains. I realized that if I showed us clearly from the Bible that, that the blessing brought by justification is receiving and experiencing the Holy Spirit, I realized that if I clearly showed from the Bible that the blessing we have now in Jesus is experiencing miraculous power from the Holy Spirit, many of us would begin to wonder, what exactly does that mean? Many of us would begin to wonder, have I ever experienced that? Many of us would begin to doubt if we've ever had the blessing. Now, I do want to speak to these questions a little bit in our third point, which actually answers another more important question. The third point answers another question, which is the question Paul answers. But I do want to speak to these questions about, well, have I ever experienced the Holy Spirit? You see, our passage doesn't give more detail on what Paul means when he references the reception and the experience of the Holy Spirit. But our passage is very clear as to how you and I enter into the place where only the Spirit is. Said differently, I do want to show you briefly from the rest of Galatians what it means to experience the Holy Spirit, to experience the blessing. I want to do that as a preview for what's going to come in this series. But more than that, I want to show you the answer to point three. What is the means by which the blessing of God, the Holy Spirit, is experienced? You see, Paul is not so worried about giving us details about the Spirit. He's more worried about telling us how to get the Spirit. So first... What do you experience when you receive the Holy Spirit as the blessing of justification? Well, first, what do you expect the answer to be? Maybe our doubts flow from our expectations. And maybe our expectations are all wrong. If speaking in tongues or having dreams, or falling out in the spirit, or having ecstatic out-of-the-body experiences that could last for days, if this is what you're thinking, you need to know that you've left the reservation. You need to know that you've gone way beyond Paul's point in Galatians. While those realities have happened and do happen to God's people at various times and places, that's not what Paul is talking about here. First, look at verse 5. The English phrase, works miracles, in the Greek is two words that literally read energy, power. 
The most literal translation is, does he who supplies the spirit and works powerfully among you do so by works of the law or by your hearing with faith? And so, yes, if we've never experienced the Holy Spirit working powerfully in us and among us, then we should at least question whether or not we've been justified and whether or not we're people of faith. But as we do that, we should let Paul tell us what a powerful work of God is, and we should let him tell us that in Galatians. We're going to study these realities in detail, but right now let me just, let me just reference them. These are the other times in the rest of the book where the Spirit is mentioned and where the effect of the Spirit is mentioned. You have to remember that when you're studying Galatians, you're studying it across six months, but the original audience heard this letter in six minutes. The gap between our chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, and the rest of the book is months. Their gap was moments. And so Paul says these are the effects of experiencing the Holy Spirit in the rest of the book. Paul says in Galatians 4 that the Spirit creates intimacy and relationship between us and the Father. That that if we are more and more seeing God as Father and not as simply judge or creator, for example, we're experiencing the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Regardless of how we see it, the Bible would say that our relating to God as loving Father after all of the sins that we have committed, that right there is a more powerful work of the Holy Spirit than a physical healing. The Bible would be far more amazed that you and I relate to him as Father than if he raised us from the dead. That's the bigger miracle. Second, in chapter 5, the Spirit is said to give hope. So if we're more and more living this life for the eternal future that we have in Jesus, if we are more and more translating today in light of what's going to happen tomorrow, Paul says you're experiencing the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And so at a funeral, grieving as one with hope is a greater and more miraculous event of the Holy Spirit than if the Spirit had physically healed the one who was sick prior to them dying. You see, in curiosity, we want to see the physical healing which God can do, he has done, he will do it. He's doing it now. But Paul says the more powerful work of the Spirit is to make you and I live for eternity today. Third, in chapter 5, Paul says that the Spirit, when we receive him, gives us power to not gratify the flesh, to not be driven by lusts and passions like animals. Also in chapter 5, Paul will say that the Spirit will produce fruit in us, and the fruit is summarized as joy and love, so gladness over the gospel, a willingness to live and die for other people because Jesus has lived and died for us. That's what happens when you experience the Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? It is true that if you're not seeing any of these realities in your life, you should be sobered. But if you're seeing these realities, even in small amounts, even in small increasing amounts, you should be deeply encouraged. This is the miraculous power of God at work in you by his Holy Spirit. And so how does each and every one of us experience more Holy Spirit? So if that list of evidences sounds inviting and it sounds attractive and it sounds desirous, how do we experience them by the Spirit more and more? The answer to that is quite easy. Point three. What is the means by which the benefit of God is experienced? Very clearly and very simply, hearing and believing the preached gospel is the means by which we receive the Spirit. It is not a special conference. It is not a trip into the woods. It is not attending a more charismatic, less Presbyterian church. It could be, but it it is not a tent revival. It is not a determination to have more fervor. It is listening to and believing the gospel preached. This is how the Spirit is supplied. 
Look at verses 1 and 2. Verse 2 first. Paul says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? There's the answer. Paul says the exact same thing in verse 5. How do you have a greater present tense experience of the Holy Spirit now? Hearing with faith. But what are we hearing with faith? To be very clear, it's obvious from from chapter 3, verse 1. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was graphically portrayed as crucified. Paul says in verse 2 that they have received the Spirit by hearing and believing. He references his own preaching of the gospel in verse 1 to let them know what they heard and what they saw. And Paul is saying it is by listening to and, and taking deeply into your heart the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit is experienced by us and is evidenced in what we will see in the rest of this book. The Galatians were not in Jerusalem when Jesus died on the cross. It was Paul's graphic preaching of Jesus crucified that caused the, the eyes of their hearts to see, that, that caused the ears of their heart to hear, that caused the core of their heart to believe. And Paul is saying, do you want a greater experience of the Holy Spirit? Do you want a greater intimacy with the Father? Listen to the gospel preached of the eternal Son of God, forsaken by his Father so he can embrace you. Paul says, uh, do you want to uh, not gratify the desires of the flesh anymore? See Jesus on the cross dying for all of your self-centered, self-gratifying ways. And move forward in faith and gratitude. Uh, Paul Paul is going to say, listen, if you want the effect of the Spirit, the Spirit becomes powerful in the preaching of the gospel. And Paul is telling us, as often as you can see, hear, and believe the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, get there. Because that's where the Spirit is. Let's pray. Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you. For the gospel. Jesus, we thank you that in our sin we turned from you and thought relationship with you and the triune God was not uh, worth uh, what we thought it was going to cost us in terms of created things. And we thank you, Jesus, that you moved towards us in our rebellion and when we were your enemy, you moved towards us. You lived for us, you died for us, you rose again, and now you've sent your spirit inside of us to awaken us to your beauty and to your gospel. We thank you that, uh, that Jesus, you went without the Spirit while on the cross so that we could have the Spirit forever. We thank you, Jesus, that you went without the Father's love and acceptance while on the cross so that we could have his love, his acceptance, his adoption, and his blessing forever. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see things the way they are seen by you. We pray that you would strip us of any worldly expectations on created things and give deep in our hearts an appreciation for the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all that is. Uh, Would you, Holy Spirit, uh, give us a greater awareness of the work that you're already doing in us, that we might worship you and trust you more. In your name we pray, Jesus. 